You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Howdy, everybody. Hope you are doing all right today. I am, I'm getting a vaccine today, guys. This is exciting, right? Now this world is going to, you know, start looking a little bit more normal. I mean, let's give it a couple of months. Let's be honest. There's a, a long road to go, but it's definitely shorter than what we were sitting at last year when shows were getting canceled and so much craziness was happening. But anyways, speaking of shows getting canceled, like this is a band that was affected deeply by that. The band is called Cloud Nothings, and I've spoke to Dylan Baldy, who is the vocalist, guitarist of the band. I love Cloud Nothings, and I, they had to you know, postpone a lot of stuff last year. Um, not a ton of stuff, because they actually just released a new record that is really, really good called The Shadow I Remember. You need to check it out wherever you uh, listen to music. I actually uh, ordered the vinyl, and I'm uh, waiting for that, which I'm excited to play. But uh, listening to it on my f- favorite streaming service, uh, I love this record. It's really, really good. And I'll admit, I wrote this band off for no reason other than like their name and just kind of you know the uh, the reputation that preceded them, which it wasn't fair. It is not fair at all. But that's sometimes what we do as music fans. And I'm trying myself to kind of remove that layer because I think that uh, you know it just we, you miss out on a lot of good music if you're just like, oh man, I think I know what this band's about. I'm not going to listen to them. And I'll admit, this is definitely a sort of record store nerd in me um, that exists that like you know just completely typecast certain bands. But if you like anything, you know, like Joyce Manor, punk adjacent, indie rock adjacent, you will like Cloud Nothings. Trust me, and listen to the new record. But Dylan and I had a fun time. There's actually a point in the conversation. I decided not to leave it in there, but we got interrupted on three separate occasions by somebody trying to deliver him a burrito. And it was hilarious because they were like calling him and he's like, oh man, I'm sorry. I have to, you know, my DoorDash or I can't even remember the company that was trying to deliver it to him. They kept calling and saying, oh, I'm sorry. We're out of these like black beans or we're out of the, you know, cilantro. And he was like, oh, that's okay. You can replace it with that. And uh, it was, he was just incredibly patient. And actually it, it made me like him even more because at a certain point, this these calls became comical where it's like, dude, really? They're calling again to talk to you about your burrito, your dinner delivery? Um, but anyways, I digress. You need to email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Love to hear guest suggestions or whatever else the case may be. Also, this is a plug for those of you that like records. If you like records, come with me on my personal Instagram. It's at xpurposex. You can find me there. Every Sunday, I've been doing a stream with uh, sometimes past guests of the show, sometimes you know just, just friends of mine, that we are nerdy about records, and we talk about seven inches, and we share stories, and it's really fun. Someone actually messaged me on Instagram, was like, hey, are you going to turn these into podcasts? And I was like, well, no, because we're like literally showing records, and so it's a more visual thing. But he's like, well, it's pretty much just like a podcast anyways. I'm like, no, I, I totally get that. But um, you know, I don't need to launch like another podcast on top of another podcast, because I've, I, I have like a million ideas, but you know, I gotta, gotta mind my time. But anyways, that's that. You can also review the show. Please go to Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and, you know, throw some stars, throw a review. I would really appreciate it. I know every show begs of you to do this and I am like everybody else, but, um, yeah, I just would appreciate that. You know, it helps legitimize this show in ways that, uh, I can't legitimize the show by leaving reviews on a bunch of burner accounts. <laughs> which I don't do, but uh, that would just be funny if I did. Anyways, let's talk to Dylan. Like I said, Cloud Nothings, new record. The Shadow I Remember is out now. Check it out. It's really, really good. So here we go. Here is Dylan. Right now, morning, but soon you know. 
And, you know, I'll admit, like, I totally had your band, you know, on my radar, like, when you first started putting up music in the, you know, whatever, 2010s, I guess you would call that. <laughs> I would yeah, say I the aughts. came out real early 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I and I complete, completely put this on myself, but uh, I totally wrote you off because uh, I'm going to say you because, you know, you are the Cloud Nothing's uh, brainchild, as it were. Um as just kind of like one of those, and this is totally like completely snarky and dismissive, but just like one of those water bands where it's like, you know, there are so many bands that came out, like whether it's a Beach House, Beach Fossils, like all of those bands started to exist roughly around the same time and rose to prominence. And then, I mean, admittedly, I like most of those bands, but for whatever reason, <clears throat> there's just this aversion where it's just like, ah, oh, Cloud Nothing's like, it's just another one of those like element bands or whatever. Um <laughs> And I, like I said, I know I'm being maybe a little hyperbolic, but I, I'm sure that there are people like maybe it hasn't been directly expressed to you, but has there been that notion of like, oh yeah, I haven't given these guys to them a day because, you know, I think they are one thing when they are actually are another thing. I think that has been expressed to me, or I know it has, uh, through, <laughs> I mean, my, my girlfriend plays in a band and the a guy who tour managed her in Europe um, said literally almost the exact same thing as you. <laughs> when she mentioned it, she was like, it's not like that. Yeah, so there's probably people who, you know, there were a lot of bands that had cloud and nothing in the names of them, you know, right around when we came out, which is, I don't know what I was thinking, or if everybody was just thinking about, you know, clouds and emptiness at the time. I'm glad that you said that there was that experience that people did just kind of, you know, lump you into one sort of category where it's like, oh, yeah, here's like, an indie band that like maybe isn't too aggressive or whatever. It's just like all of these kind of trappings that, you know, it's not your fault. It just happens to be kind of the, the, the moment that is meeting maybe like you said, the confluence of all these people having a similar ish idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And then I think, you know, following that we got lumped into all sorts of things. Every record we get lumped into something different where I'm like, is that what we are? (laughs) And you know, it's never anything that makes a whole lot of sense to me, but you know, we just keep going. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Like the, you know, a straight line would be nice to kind of be able to piece one record from another, but you know, that's not that's not how art works. <laughs> kind of, yeah. No, it's uh yeah, I've always kind of thought you should try to do different things here and there. And not like we're making like radically different, you know, types of music or something, but there's there's differences. Yeah, and it's nice to I like bands that kind of go outside of their little box now and then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and plus too, you could, um, the idea that you are subverting the expectations of what people who may have originally written you off as like, oh, just this, you know, whatever flaccid indie band. And it's like, oh, actually, no, they got, a, they got a little kick to them or vice versa where it's like, oh, there's subtlety in this. It's not just, you know, loud guitars all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, hopefully those people, you know, I feel like there's, in the in the realm of people um, a lot of people will write something off and then that's the end you know like they'll never you know if the band puts out one record they don't like they're like well that band sucks yeah that's the end of that band um but you i i haven't been that way ever you know i like to take things an album at a time or a song at a time or whatever so you gotta hope there's other people out there <laughs> willing to change their minds right the, the saying of uh, throwing out the baby with the bathwater is definitely apropos of that <laughs> mm, yeah i don't want to be the baby Right. <laughs> uh, so putting the focus on you as a person, um, you, born and raised in the Cleveland area, correct? Yeah, suburb of Cleveland on the west side called Westlake. 
Got it, got it. And uh, I mean, Cleveland is uh, a very interesting music scene kind of at large just because, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the hardcore scene with bands like, you know, Integrity and uh, One Life Crew and like all of these, you know, kind of, I mean, obviously the antithesis of what you were doing sonically. But um, did any of that stuff kind of, uh, you know, pop into your radar as far as being like, oh, this is like actually what's happening in Cleveland? Or was that just completely, uh, you know, devoid until you maybe retroactively recognized it? It was definitely a retroactive thing. Yeah, when I was a kid, I barely even went to shows or anything. You know, I would just get CDs from the library. Um, it didn't even register on my mind. There's a thing in Cleveland where if you live in a suburb on, maybe it's not like this on the east side. I don't really know. I don't really know many people from there. But the west side, um, nobody thinks they live in Cleveland. Like Cleveland is this like unreachable thing, even though it's like 50 minute drive down the highway. People are always like, oh, Cleveland. Like that's like some crazy place to go. So growing up, I never even really thought about it too much. I was just kind of in my own little, you know, made up world. I was really into like jazz and like CDs from the library. So yeah, the hardcore scene and all that and, you know, the people in it and everything kind of came later for me. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I really like that picture you paint of going into the library and checking out CDs because I think there is something that is so, um, special to that idea of just you know picking yourself like whatever whether you're nine or ten years old and just like wandering through and being like oh sure i'll take this sublime cd and this you know art blakely cd like whatever i'm just gonna try to sample it out like was that kind of what you were were you sampling a wide array or was it pretty kind of focused no i mean it might have started focused I, i don't really remember like when i started doing this but it definitely widened up and i think the way People talk about how they used to like buy records and, you know, look at the liner notes and, you know, oh, that guy plays on, you know, just the way you figure things out um, about music without the internet, basically. I think I was doing that um, through this library and all these, all the uh, CDs and things I would get from there. You know, I'd walk up to the counter with like 25 CDs, whatever the limit was, and I would go to different libraries around town and like just have this mountain of CDs all the time that I was listening to. So that really did, you know, help broaden my musical horizons i guess yeah i i again love that idea of you're like i, I combed this library over i gotta i gotta hit the other library in order to get these free cds mm-hmm. and then you'll like find a cd or like hear about an album that like you know it's really hard to find so you got to go to the one library that has it <laughs> it's like kind of far away i remember going to the when i finally went to like the library in cleveland it was a big deal because <laughs> they had a lot of uh hard to find CDs, you know, that were on my list. Yeah. So I went and was real excited that first day. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, I I definitely remember that feeling as a kid when you go to a library and you unlock this idea of like, wait, I can just take this stuff for free. Are you kidding me? Like, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I have always liked the library (laughs) for that reason. You know, the internet is, replaced elements of that for sure um but even just like you know if there's books that i want or something that i don't really want to buy you tend to be able to get them at the library yeah it's a it's a great place (laughs) i i don't i i I completely see a transition away from you playing music to obviously being a librarian library science has been something i've thought about doing (laughs) actually i have a friend in cleveland who's who works at the library there and um growing up i had a friend whose dad was like a librarian out there so it's always been in my you know uh whatever worldview you know i've known people who do it and it's they're just nice relaxed people (laughs) and you know they get to read all day it sounds great honestly 
I, it's funny because I, I also, uh, I agree with you and I also kind of romantically view the idea of, uh, you know, being a, uh, you know, post office worker, like a mail delivery carrier, as opposed to, you know, people that work at the post office, like that could be punishing, I would imagine just as much as maybe mail delivery can, but there's that romantic idea of just like, oh yeah, walking around, maybe listening to some music, dropping off some packages. Like that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that does. I think any job where you're just sort of like <laughs> alone and you get to like listen to music or drive around or do what you do, you know, that has always sounded appealing to me. <laughs> I mean, you know, touring ended up being that in some ways, but yeah, kind of just the loneliness of the the postal worker or something has been not a goal necessarily, but just something that does sound kind of like zen and nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is true. You're talking about just the idea of touring. Like there is a whole lot of that where it's like, you know, tw- 23 hours of nothing and then one hour of maybe playing a show, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, touring, you have to like, you know, smell other people and stuff all day. <laughs> and, you know, totally. You're, you're, you're in a, yeah. right. Yeah. You're in a, a very self-contained unit called the van. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. And then you go to some house and you sleep on the floor <laughs> and then you, yeah, there's, there's elements of it that, you know, take away from the, uh, uh, you know, calm aspect. Right. The, ro- the romanticism of touring. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure you experience this, like when you mentioned, you know, especially at this point where, you know, you've been doing the band from a, you know, business perspective for, you know, many years now and you're a quote unquote full-time musician. But when people hear the word tour, like your average citizen, they're probably thinking where it's just like, oh, Dylan's obviously like in, in tour buses and, you know, partying in hotels every night. It's like, no, not, not really like that. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. Not yet. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. When Corona's <laughs> over, man, we're buying that bus. It's good. I'm glad to hear it, Dylan. <laughs> so what was the uh, family structure like growing up? Like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? Um, yeah, I have, um, mom and dad are married and have been married for a long time now. Um, <laughs> yeah, they just, their last anniversary was this July, and I don't even know what number it is. It's, it's a long time. Sure. Um, but yeah, they're both good. I, ha- I had a brother growing up. He He passed away when I was 16. Um, and he was 15. Yeah. So, but you know, he was around for the first chunk of my life there. Um, we had a dog, we had two dogs. Yeah. Okay. Very, uh, very, very suburban upbringing as it were. Extremely. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We lived in, I mean, Westlake is like a, I think it's a rich suburb technically. Um, but I wasn't really aware of that. Both my parents were, um, uh, like Cleveland, uh, elementary school teachers, like public school teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess they just liked living in Westlake for whatever reason. But yeah, we just had a little like ranch house and Westlake. Yeah, just do it, just doing your thing. I see. Um, the, I, I obviously that's terrible about your brother. I presume that was a uh, completely, you know, tragic thing. Was it medical related or is it? It was. Uh, yeah, it was just some freak thing with his heart. I don't even, I mean, yeah, I don't even really know, honestly. Um, right, right. Yeah, it was sudden and unexpected, so it was pretty sure. tough. Were you, wow. were you were you guys uh, close, or was it one of the, because obviously since you were so close in age, uh, or did you guys kind of like, you know, do your own things independently because that is the age in which you're kind of trying to, you know, separate from the family unit, as it were? Yeah, we weren't like, you know, best friends kind of but we were we were close just by virtue of being you know together all the time in the sure. house yeah and he was he was really into like old blues music he got he like taught himself how to play like 
old blues piano and stuff. And he was into like old, old stuff like pre-war blues. That was his thing as like a, you know, young teen. Um, so he was, he was kind of often doing his own thing in that world. Yeah. Sure. An old soul, as they say. An old soul. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, <clears throat> that's cool. Well, it's cool that you were able to at least, uh, you know, experience that life with him, you know, at, through, I mean, even though, you know, 16 and 15, like those are, you know, pretty tumultuous years. Like you still had that camaraderie and bond to where it was, you know, you have a memory of the person as opposed to just being like, well, I, I knew they existed, but that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. And he played drums too. Um, he played drums in like the school band and stuff. And we had a drum set because of him um, at the house. So we would occasionally play like drums and guitar together. <laughs> it wasn't like we were in a band, but I think we would just say like, we're playing drums and guitar. <laughs> like we would actually, that's what we would call it. Um, and that, he didn't really enjoy doing that. He just liked playing piano. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, I, I love that idea of you just being like, Hey, so we're going to, we're going to play some blink covers. So you're just going to go ahead and learn these three chords. And I'm going to play the drums or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't really his speed. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Uh, just kind of making an outside observation of you. Um, you know, you seem like the sort of person that, uh, you know, you are not the quote unquote, uh, center of attention in regards to, um, you know, like whatever you're going to a party and it's like, oh yeah, here, here's Dylan, like the crazy life of the party, you know, uh, yelling at people and trying to get in fights and stuff like that. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know what sort of picture I'm painting here, but, um, I'm going to guess that, that, that is probably reflective of your experience in, you know, once you started to like go through high school and develop your own identity, um, were you kind of the more quiet reserved dude or were you actually the life of the party as it were? Um, definitely not in high school. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was pretty low key. Um, and I've essentially remained so <laughs> for the majority of my life. Yeah. I think I, you know, I even, at one point I started trying to eat lunch, um, away from the cafeteria. I just found like a desk that was out in a hallway in like the middle of nowhere in the school. And I would just go eat lunch there. And like a teacher finally found me and was like, you can't do this. It's like, oh man, but I'm having fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the seclusion, right? I did. Yeah. And they, they, they thought that was bad, I guess, but I think it was good. <laughs> well, I, I think that, I mean, it, it, it's interesting cause you, you know, I mean, with your brother passing away, you had this kind of experience of, you know, uh, having a sibling and then, you know, being kind of an only child and then, you know, you were probably desiring that idea of like, I went through something dramatic, so I like need to be by myself because that's kind of what I prefer at this point. In some ways, yeah. And then it gave me time to like, I was always obsessed with like music and art also and like being alone. And I would eventually got to a point where I would be able to like actually leave some classes. They would let me leave and just go to like the music room at school and pre- <laughs> and practice. Just, well, yeah, I was in high school especially towards the later years, they were letting me like leave class to go just practice and play saxophone and like piano in these music rooms that we had. Um, so I think eventually everyone kind of realized like, let's just leave this kid alone <laughs> and let him do what he wants. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like this isn't uh, you know, antisocial behavior, even though in a way it was, or I guess unhealthy antisocial behavior. He just wants to create the stuff he has or yeah. he has going on in his head. Yeah. And I was like good at school too. So I think they knew I wasn't like, you know, doing anything terrible. Yeah. I just wanted to do something else with my time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I like that, uh, idea of, you know, being able to, and I'm sure you saw this with your, you know, peers and friends, like the, the ones that, 
always got in trouble with their parents because they, you know, didn't get good grades or whatever. And then, you know, were grounded and like had all of this, um, you know, tumult within their life. And it was just as simple as like, Hey, if you just put a little effort, you'll probably get C's and your parents will be off your back. Like, did you experience that at all? Yeah, I used to, there's some kids I would play music with actually. There's kids from a neighboring town called Rocky River, um, (laughs) which was like, I don't think it was our rival or anything. It was just another little town um, on the west side of Cleveland. But yeah, I ended up hanging out with some of those kids because I was in marching band and our marching bands met up for something. And I talked to one kid about like Animal Collective or something. And I was like, oh, someone likes Animal Collective. (laughs) And I made a friend that way. And we actually started a band called Ponyta. Um, And one of the kids who would play with us sometimes was like what you're describing. Yeah, he was a kind of a troubled guy um and he was always like bringing like like weapons to school <laughs> he would he would bring like knives and stuff to school and i guess one day he got caught with a knife and i think he got straight up like expelled and i never really heard from him again but yeah if you don't bring knives to school like that's all you had to do just like don't bring a knife to school like come on yeah right <laughs> you can you can keep it at home yeah but just don't bring it to school have the knife. <laughs> I don't care. It's kind of weird if I come to your house and you show me a knife, I guess. That's weird too, but just don't bring it to school. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And then if you don't bring it to school, then like, you know, maybe we can like go to shows or go to the movies together. <laughs> yeah. Or just like do anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Don't keep the knife out of it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Some kids uh, like knives more than friends. I guess. That's. Uh, yeah. I mean, weapons are alluring to young boys kind of in general, whether it's like Chinese stars or switchblades or whatever. But what, like, I mean, I found in my experience, like once you actually have the thing, then it's kind of like, what do I do with this? Like, this is, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to like kill someone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you just end up throwing your Chinese stars against like the garage and then that's kind of it. And then you get in trouble because your parents are like, what that, why are there, why are there holes in the garage? Oh, damn. Well, yeah. maybe I'm just speaking about too specific of an experience, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> parents found your throwing stars. Yes, they did. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. This was, that was my fault. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess that your, um, like you said, your, your kind of evolution into music was, you know, first the library and, um, you know, obviously seeing what your brother was getting into, but where did kind of like the more independent side of music start to infiltrate your life? Was it, uh, and then who was kind of like your, uh, for lack of a better term, like gatekeeper or usher was like, you know, you have the record store person or a cousin or someone that's kind of being like, oh, Hey, here's what the dead Kennedys are or whatever. Like, um, you know, what was that experience for you? Um, well, eventually, yeah, once I graduated from the library, um, I, there's a couple record stores in Cleveland, um, that one of them is still around. It's called My Mind's Eye. And it's like the kind of like metal sort of punk record store, um, in town. And I went there, started going there a lot. And the guy who runs that place is a guy named Charles. And he's just a really nice, uh, like old metalhead, like, rock and roll guy um and he would i think he kind of realized that i was into you know music and that i was pretty young so i think i kind of developed a camaraderie with him that i still you know anytime i go i don't live in cleveland anymore but anytime i go back i stop in there and see him and buy a record or something we'll talk for a while but he kind of i feel like started that route yeah that's awesome was uh so how did he kind of uh curate your experience as it were was it one of those things where he was just kind of like giving you one or two records at a time or you know what what sort of bands was he initially exposing you to um i think 
I'm trying to remember what I would get there when I was younger. I feel like I picked up like a Swell Maps record once and he was like taken aback that this like little nerd <laughs> was buying a record like that. Um, so then from then on, I would just stop in and be like, what's a good, uh, you know, doom metal record or something like whatever I would ask, you know, just questions like that. And he'd be like, try this one yeah, and just hand me, uh, you know, he was, he was into, or I was into, I guess, like at the time, like, you know, kind of the noisier DIY kind of like seventies, eighties stuff. So I got into like maybe the pop group, um, and like swell maps and stuff through them. Yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. I, I do like that idea of you just bringing a genre where that like you, you may have just read about and you're like, that sounds cool. I wonder what that's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, he knew. <laughs> so he would, of course. he would tell me something good and it was, it was a good relationship we had going. Yeah. Right. Like the idea of like, Hey, can I check out throbbing gristle? And it's like, uh, I don't know if you're ready for that yet, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Try something else first. <laughs> totally. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta easy into that. Uh, we, we, we don't just throw that out to, you know, any average 16 year old. They're maybe not ready for that. Yeah. 20. You can have one jazz funk. Great. <laughs> yeah. You're not ready for 20. Spring is in the air. That means you need an entirely new wardrobe. And that wardrobe should consist of band merch from all shapes and sizes, long sleeves, hoodies, shirts. They probably even have some swim trunks. Go to rockabilly.com. That is the place to buy all of your officially licensed band merch. And when I say officially licensed, I mean that. Bands get paid on this stuff. This is all above the board. Fast shipping comes quickly to you, all from a Midwest base of operations in Minneapolis or in that general area. Use this code PC100Words. Again, PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order. When you do that, it helps out the show tremendously. And then on top of it, you get a discount. And then even better, bands get paid. I can't stress that point enough. There's a lot of bootleg merch that exists around right now. And Rockabilly does not traffic in that. They are the purveyor of fine quality garments. I've ordered from them multiple times, and they're just the best. I love Rockabilly. Go to rockabilly.com, PC 100 words, 15% off your order, and find your new spring wardrobe. You know, as you started to kind of bring more independent culture home, and your parents started to see that you were, you know, more committed to this idea of music in general. How were they kind of reacting to this, you know, probably left of center stuff that you were uh, getting into? Uh, well, they both love music. Um, so I did grow up in a house where music was like on all the time, you know, talked about music. My dad has like a wall of CDs, you know, he loves CDs. Um, so when I started getting into it, you know, more, a little deeper, I guess, than, uh, you know, probably they were, um, they they supported it, honestly. You know, they were never in any way, at least directly to me, uh, negative about anything. You know, I would be like, I want to play guitar. And they'd be like, yeah, we, can, we can get you a guitar, you know? So they bought me like a cheap guitar. And yeah, so every year for Christmas, actually, I would end up kind of getting like another, like, you know, beginner's version of an instrument. I got like a trumpet one year. I got a flute or something one year. Yeah, so it was always, they were always trying to actually keep the music interest going, which is great. That's that's awesome, especially too, because I think that most parents uh, are just looking for their kids to get into something, you know, and like mm-hmm. find something they're passionate about, as opposed to just like, what do you care about? And it's just like, oh, no, hanging out with friends. It's like that's not that's not something. <laughs> that's what everyone likes. <laughs> yeah, well, they put me in like taekwondo and stuff too. I think they were trying. They tried various things, <laughs> but music is the one that stuck for sure. 
Sure. Yeah. They got to give you the uh, poo poo platter as a kid to be like, here's all this stuff. Try it out and see what you like. Yeah. Yeah. Taekwondo did not like, (laughs) it turns out not my thing, but I I almost got a black belt. And then I found out the whole place was a scam because this, uh, I mean, I, my mom was just telling me about this too and how happy she was that I told her that like to get the, you already pay so much to just go through this Taekwondo course, which who knows if I'm even learning anything or if it's even that good of an exercise. Um, and then to get the black belt at the end, you had to pay an extra like 300 bucks. And I told my mom that and she was so upset that she just like took us out and like quit. We quit Taekwondo like that day. And I was so happy. Yeah. Out of out of sheer principle, she's like, "Wait a minute! This was like a multi level marketing plan. Like, what? This isn't cool." Yeah, yeah, we got we got scammed by uh, I don't even remember his name, but it's like one yeah. Yeah. Sensei Ted, or I'm just kidding. Sensei Ted scammed me again. <laughs> He's probably still doing it. Yeah, he's just milking those three hundred dollar, uh, you know, uh, black belts. It's uh, that's a reality. Who knows what he's even buying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, more black belts, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they do cost three hundred dollars. Yeah, you take more money for it. Right. It's the uh, snake eating its tail scenario. <laughs> Teddy <laughs> like the belt. <laughs> it's a shame. Uh, and so, like you said, kind of guitar was the first thing you gravitated towards, or was that something that you kind of arrived after, you know, sampling all of these, you know, musical instruments that were kind of thrown at you, you know, over the holidays or whatever? Yeah. Um, well, I started taking piano lessons when I was pretty young, maybe six or something. Um, and I did that for a little while. And then I wanted to play saxophone because uh, the school had a band at, I think it was fifth grade, and you could pick an instrument to play. And I, I really liked saxophone for some reason. And then my piano teacher said, you can't play more than one instrument. And I was like, huh. So I convinced my parents to let me quit piano lessons because that teacher was, I thought, wrong. Um, and then I got a saxophone. And then I got a guitar, some other, about probably fifth grade too, actually. Yeah. So that's where everything started around then. Got it. And I'm going to presume too that you, um, you know, I mean, like you said, with your your brother, you would not obviously call that a band because it's not like you had a desire to play shows under that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, drum guitar moniker. Uh, but I'm going to presume that before Cloud Nothings, you you did play in bands and you were playing out with kind of people or am I wrong in that? Uh, the only, I, I mean, I played in like a cover band for a talent show once called the volts. And I think we played like you shook me all night long and we came in second place. Uh, Oh, who beat you? Like a baton twirler. <laughs> oh dude, the shit. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's terrible. I don't know. Who knows what she's doing now? She's probably not baton twirling. She's, she's yeah. probably, probably hanging out with Ted. She probably is hanging out with Ted. Yeah. She never left, you know, the town we grew up in. Yeah. She's yep. got a kid with Ted. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I'm still love playing. It. You shook me all night long. <laughs> <laughs> just a different, just a, maybe a more uh, sped up version with a little more, uh, you know, fuzz on it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but what question was I even? In? Oh yeah. Uh, bands. I, the first one I started was with that kid, uh, the knife, a friend of the knife kid. Um, okay. Called Ponyta, like the Pokemon. And it was just like drums and guitar. Um, I play guitar, I play drums. Uh, we, we actually made a couple CDs and kind of like silk or hand silkscreen like covers for them and stuff. And they look kind of cool. Um, That's rad. And were you, were you actually playing shows with that as we well? We did. We played, we played one show at just like our friend's house, but it, it wasn't like a house show. We just were playing at this person's house while something else was going on. Um, and then 
we did one show that was a battle of the bands that got advertised on MySpace, but it was out in like Amish country basically. And it was really weird. And we got there and it didn't seem like we were supposed to be there. <laughs> so we played and then left immediately. Um, and then we did a, another battle of the bands thing, the high school rock off. Um, and at that show, I think I was a senior in high school and that's where someone who is involved in like the actual music scene in Cleveland that I ended up hanging out with. He saw us play cause he was judging that show. And he said we were the only like good band, you know, that he's ever seen play at this thing. Um, cause it's mostly just like, you know, what high school bands are like, yep. I think, I think we were just like kind of weird. Um, so from there I actually ended up meeting our, the cloud nothing space player at TJ cause the guy who was watching and judging, like told TJ, like, you got to check out this band. <laughs> so I met him through him. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Usually you don't hear the stories of like a, a talent show judge at a high school being right. able to be like, Oh, Hey, this is how I'm going to inject you in the local music scene as it were. Yeah. It, it somehow worked. There's this guy named Eric Schulte. Um, and he played in a band called the dreadful yawns. They were kind of just like elephant six style, like indie pop stuff. Um, and there was a mm-hmm. whole scene in Cleveland for that. So I ended up hanging out with all those people and TJ, um, our bass player was like a part of that. Yeah. Nice. I, and so I, I'm going to guess that, you know, as you started to uh, develop these relationships and, you know, probably go to shows at like, you know, whatever the grog shop and stuff like that, um, were like, what captivated you about the more, you know, independent focused stuff? Was it just the fact that you were in a small room watching bands play or was there something else that was speaking to you? Um, it just seemed possible i was gonna say easy but easy is the wrong word it just seemed like something you could do and it wasn't like uh you know on a pedestal in any kind of way like you know there's only a couple of venues in cleveland really you know and just like you go to them enough and you hang out there enough and talk to people enough and you have a band you know eventually someone's gonna let you play (laughs) you know it's not like i just saw like a path um there for i liked music and i wanted to play music i was like this seems like the way to do it (laughs) yeah Right, right. Like this. Yeah, I I do like that articulation of when something feels attainable and touchable, because, you know, if you go to a a concert, like clearly that's not attainable. You're just like, well, I'm never going to do that. But then when you go to a place in front of 100 people, you're like, oh, uh, that seems a little more reachable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even I would go to, you know, I would go to shows in front of much less than 100 people, too. And I think that's when it kind of like clicked where I was like, oh, I could, I could be doing this. Cause you know, I would see the opening band and it'd be someone from Cleveland and it would be, you know, just as bad as I thought I would probably be. <laughs> I feel like I could probably do this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I am of uh, equal, uh, untalent as this person. So like, I, yeah, why can't I get up there and do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I did, I actually, you know, looking back, I think I did think I was probably better than I was, which is what led me to think i could start a band and tour as like a job (laughs) but you know luckily i had that kind of headstrong thing at the beginning sure of course the uh you know youthful arrogance slash confidence where it's just like oh i can do that better than that person Mm -hmm. yeah and then i proved it in absolutely no way (laughs) like at all for so long (laughs) but the whole time i was like yeah we're good oh yeah right totally killing it (laughs) yeah um uh, what was kind of the uh, proverbial, quote unquote, regular life path? Like, you know, was it one of those things where your parents were like, 
oh, I mean, like you said, they were supportive over your pursuit of music, but I'm sure that there was a practical concern of like, well, Dylan obviously is not going to like play in a rock band, but so like here, go to college and do this. And like, you know, it'd be great if you would get into teaching. Was there any sort of, um, I guess, path from that, that uh, landscape? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they wanted me to go to college and I did for about a semester. Um, I went to this Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland um, and I went to study saxophone actually and, uh, and audio recording. It was like a little dual program thing they had going. Um, cause I was, I was really good at saxophone actually. That's what I was good at at the time. And if I had followed that, I don't, I guess I don't really know. I think my parents were just happy that I was going to go to college. They didn't mm-hmm. really think about, you know, maybe what am I going to do with the degree in saxophone? Um, Obviously playing a ska band, Dylan. I was going to play in a ska band. Yeah. Yep. Which, you know, think that'd be a good thing to use a college degree on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Even I was just doing it cause I was like, well, this is what they want me to do. Um, but then I, you know, the gates opened up and I saw this like, you know, route I could take outside of college. So I went for that instead. Yeah. So you never went to college then? For about a semester. Yeah. But okay. I never, to say I went would be a strong word because I did skip a lot of things I was supposed to be doing. Right. You you were attached to a college, but you did not attend. <laughs> yeah. I was in a dorm at a college for a while and then I left. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, D- Dylan's never home. He seems to always be somewhere else. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, I had a roommate. At the dorm, I wonder what he's up to now. He would always ask me if I wanted to like throw the football around. That was his like kind of like bonding thing, and I would be like, "No," <laughs> and that was like the end of our conversation. And I don't, know, right. I don't know what he's up to now. Yeah, sure. Well, obviously, we know hanging out with Ted and you know the other person that we're talking about. <laughs> I hope these people have better life than that. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> Uh, something that I, I, I found, uh, I mean, you've articulated it in a lot of different interviews, but you know, how integral MySpace was for you getting the ability to do something. I mean, in my opinion, very unconventional where it's like, all right, I'm going to create five different band names and just like put music up there and then like, we'll see which one kind of takes off or whatever. Uh, you know, I'm probably being a little, um, you know, sarcastic in regards to your thinking in regards to that. But, um, I guess what motivated you to do that kind of approach, I understand posting MP3s on, you know, on MySpace was, that was what everybody was doing of that era. But uh, the approach you took was, was unique. Yeah. Well, if I remember right, um, I was just making stuff at like a rapid clip. Like I would make like, you know, two songs a day or something. And MySpace had a limit, I think, to how many songs you could put on a page. I feel like it was like four songs at the time. There was a limit. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So I would put up like four songs and be like, well, I made another song. Like, am I really going to take down these songs already that nobody's even heard? <laughs> I'd like to just put up another new song that nobody will hear. So um, I think what I was doing was just like, you know, making new pages basically is like, this is my next four songs. And it's also like, a, I guess it's a new band. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the route I was going down there. I, that, yeah, you just shook like so many memories of that where it's like, that was like an actual problem people had where it was like, damn, dude, we got to like, we got to take down a song. Like that has like over a million plays. We can't take down that song. I mean, like bands that were obviously of a certain level, but like, yeah, that's, that's, that was a real problem. It was. Yeah. And I think I even, I feel like I tried to use like pure volume or something for a second because they like let you put up more songs and you could you could like get in touch with people who would like rate your songs and stuff. And it was like a much more, uh, 
uh, like a review oriented system. Um, but I, I ended up sticking with MySpace for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a, as you were putting out these songs at, at such a clip and then, you know, once the idea of you, you know, actually creating a record and like, you know, actually having a, a you know, a band and all that stuff started to come into play, you, how did the business kind of intersect with what you were doing? I mean, clearly you weren't probably equipped in any fashion to be able to handle stuff, whether it was like a, you know, a simple recording contract or like, you know, getting paid for a show. Like how, how was that all kind of, um, you know, bouncing around your head as you started to experience that in the early days? Um, I just kind of took things as they came. <laughs> you know, we booked our, we, well, the very first show we ever played, um, was, luckily like through myspace we got hooked up with this uh, promoter named todd p who was like kind of doing big indie shows in new york at the time um and i had been like friends on myspace with a band called coasting um who were like a great band um but they happened to be like roommates i think with todd p and they were listening to cloud nothings and he was like who's that we should put him on a show <laughs> so like through that we got on a show with uh, real estate and span woods who were both like kind of like coming up at the time like they were you know maybe popular in new york and nowhere else but they were big there um so we ended up playing the show and got like a booking agent and a, a some guy who was like i'll be your lawyer <laughs> like all these people we just met at this one show um and it was our first show ever <laughs> um, and i was like i guess yeah you can book us and i guess you can be our lawyer like for what um, <laughs> right yeah, but through that stuff, uh, there's this guy, John Chavez, booking agent, lawyers, a guy named Paul Summerstein. Um, oh, yeah, Paul. Yeah, I've, I've worked with Paul before. He's a good dude. He is a good dude. Yeah, we still work with Paul. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've slept on Paul's dusty old floor. That's um, amazing. But yeah, he, uh, we just met those people at that show. And I saw for the first time, like, what a, essentially what, like, a DIY music scene is <laughs> or could be. You know, we played at a place called Market Hotel, which was like, you know, built from out of, you know, nothing, just like a room. And these people, um, you know, built it into a venue that was having legitimate shows. Um, and yeah, everything I kind of, I kind of, another thing where it was like, oh, this is how it could work. <laughs> yeah. Like Cleveland didn't have an analog to that kind of experience, but being able to go somewhere else and see like, oh, they do it like this here. Like maybe we can, you know, translate that to, you know, doing things our own way, you know, wherever we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because of your, you know, because of that unconventional experience, like there's that notion that, you know, you have to prove yourself to the community where it's like, oh yeah, they've been slugging out on the road for years and like all that sort of stuff. You know, I mean, you getting all those experiences, you know, on your first show, uh, there was probably a lot of, um, you know, disdain for that. Uh, like, d- you know, did you kind of experience that sort of, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word hazing because that sounds like, you know, obviously a fraternity, but you know, did you experience any of that or was that just kind of like off your radar? Uh, locally, you mean like around Cleveland? Yeah. I mean, around Cleveland or just kind of in general where it's just like, Oh, who, who the hell are these kids from Cleveland? All of a sudden, like, you know, they have a lawyer pitching out, you know, record deals for them and stuff like that. Yeah. That is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we, I think the big thing was, you know, the Cleveland music scene because I was just a kid who came out of nowhere and didn't really have any, you know, uh, local connections outside of just like this crew of like, you know, 30 year old dudes who saw me play at a high school rock off. Um, they were sort of like, how, like, who is this? Why is this happening? So it did take a while, I would say for like a portion of the Cleveland music scene to warm to 
us um, and as people and as, you know, a band. Um, but everything is hunky-dory these days. <laughs> well, yeah. You, I mean, clearly uh, you have uh, put in the work. Like there definitely is not the, uh, uh, you know, question of legitimacy <laughs> with Cloud Nothings at this point. If there is, then, you know, that's their problem and not yours. Yeah. And I, I mean, I totally understand, you know, how it was back then. But it's funny that people, you know, there's some people that I know said some like, pretty crazy stuff about me who now I just see and I'm like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. Like, you know, I don't, I can't really care about it. Yeah. No. Right. Right. Like you, like you said, you know, if you put yourself in those, in their shoes, they would look at, it's just like, who is Dylan kid? What the hell is this cloud? Nothing saying like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, tour for a couple of years, bro, <laughs> you know, whatever, like, you know, build your, build your fan base up the right way or whatever, which you obviously did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if, I mean, if there is a thing, a Cleveland thing where it feels very insular, I think like a lot of Cleveland stuff doesn't leave town, you know, cause it's like a the working class town where people have to survive, you know, and they don't have, you know, time and, you know, money essentially to be able to make this music. But I was lucky enough to be living with my parents you know, and they would be like, yeah, go on tour. And I would, <laughs> you know, and I would come home and I would still have a place to live because I was, you know, rent free <laughs> at my house. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I was lucky in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and when you first started to tour and kind of experience that, you know, the very glamorous lifestyle we were talking about initially, um, was it something that was, that you kind of expected or was it all just like this, you know, drinking from a fire hose new experience so everything was exciting or what was your headspace that as you first started to tour? Um, I just liked leaving home for a while, you know, because I'd, I'd been in a suburb of Cleveland for all of my life at that point, you know, and we took like a family vacation or something here and there, but we didn't go anywhere drastically far away from home. Um, and we never went, you know, further. I don't, I don't want, I want to say we never went West of Cleveland ever, um, as a kid. So like just the ability to, you know, be able to do that, you know, touring was fun in its own way. Um, but just to have, it as an excuse to be like, I want to see some stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't just want to, uh, that was the other unappealing thing about college was like, I just have to be at this, like these couple of blocks for like four years. That sounds horrible. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to get out there and see what else was going on. So yeah, as a kid, I was every time, you know, I remember driving into New York for the first time for that show. It was the first time I've been to New York and it was just like a feeling like I was, I was really excited. <laughs> and I think I'd kind of right. get that. I kept that feeling for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that it's cool because I mean, like you said, the notion of, I want to get out of town. I want to experience the world. Like that is what, you know, most people, I mean, you know, whatever, when they graduate high school and have a gap year in college or before they go to college, like that's the same sort of premise as, you know, what people do in touring bands. Like you're just kind of getting out there to, widen your experience mm-hmm. yeah and it's funny because like you know i feel like the gap year experience you go to like you go backpacking in europe or something you know and you see all this wild stuff and i was just going to like you know i went to like a shitty bar in san francisco for the evening <laughs> yeah, to yep. play a show and they don't let you in because you're not 21 and so i was just <laughs> sitting outside of a bar you know so i had a very like strange you know trip uh for a while but yeah it was yeah it was kind of eye-opening in many ways Sure. Um, the, uh, I, I always find, you know, Wikipedia entries extremely funny because usually they're, you know, littered with, uh, either, you know, f- f- 
incorrect facts um, or, you know, something that like you read and you're just like, what? That that's wild. Like the, uh, my favorite thing that I found on your Wikipedia, because of course, you know, you have a Wikipedia, um, (laughs) the, you know, it mentions you dropping out of school and telling your parents over email. Uh, and that sounds funny. Is that actually true? (laughs) Uh, parts of that are true. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I'm pretty sure my dad is the one who runs the Wikipedia. Um, I absolutely adore that. Yeah, I, think, I mean, him and my mom are probably, you know, the biggest fans. Uh, right. Active contributors. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They, uh, one of them runs that. I forget which one. Um, but yeah, I think the way it went down was I was really, I wanted to have like, I just wanted to make it clear I had like a plan, you know, that I wasn't just leaving school for no reason. You know, I wanted to like, be like, this is what I'm going to try to do. Like, and this is, you know, why I'm doing it. This is, it's not because of you or something, you know, I didn't want him to think anything went wrong and, you know, our lives. Um, so yeah, I did send kind of like a long email and I remember them just being like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. You can go do this thing. It's, it's totally fine. Yeah. It sounds like sure. Good. Yeah. So it worked out. That's what I, I just like, because the way that it, it's phrased in that is very dramatic where it's just like, you know, <laughs> or maybe I'm reading into it, but just that, that, oh, I'm going to fire off an email and then like, all right, see you later, parents. Yeah, gotta like, go. this is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I got to go. Older. Yeah. But right. they, yeah, no, it was a, it was a very well thought out email. Actually, uh, I used to write very long emails to people all the time. <laughs> so it was probably one of those. Right. <laughs> it was like, here, here's my dissertation on the plan. Yeah, back when I was had to like write essays all the time, I was just more in that mode, and they probably saw that and they're like, "Oh my god, okay, just go!" <laughs> yeah, like we're not reading this. Yeah, yeah there were the first few sentences that are like, "All right, I get it, Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Our son has lost his mind. <laughs> yeah, we have to let him go." Right. Yeah, he's gonna play in a weird indie rock band. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that I I've always found interesting about, you know, the, uh, amount of music that you've put out, um, and just like the evolution, like we were talking about between each record is that, you know, the band sits weirdly at this intersection of like, you know, a punk adjacent, you know, like pop, power pop elements. Like it, it all sits obviously at that, you know, rock idea, but then never being completely home at any genre in particular, whether it was just like something as simple as like, Oh yes, you are this band. Um, I'm guessing that you like to live in those shades of gray rather than being, you know, this kind of real prescriptive band. Um, Am I, uh, I guess, hitting that nail on the head or is it one of those things that like, you're just, you're letting the muse take you where it is? (laughs) Um, Well, I do think I naturally end up doing that um, because it is just me trying to, you know, synthesize these things that I like, you know, I like very disparate types of music. Um, so that's, you know, that's why we can have like a song that's three minutes of like, kind of like an angry rock song. And then, you know, eight minutes of like a crowd rock breakdown and then, you know, a hardcore song at the end or something, you know, it has these, you know, things that aren't super far off the spectrum from each other, but yeah, you put them all together and it makes something that someone can't say like, Oh, it's this or like, Oh, it's, you know, it's a little combination of things. Um, and I, I like that in every aspect of life essentially too you know i've always kind of uh been uh into people who sort of morph (laughs) into different you know things um as their life goes on you know looking at like someone who has lived a full life i mean you know seeing how the trajectory of their uh you know art or whatever just the way they lived i'm kind of fascinated by people like that and i like the music itself you know kind of follows that same route you know 
Yeah. Oh, it makes total sense. Uh, two, two last things I want to hit on was the fact that, you know, in, in almost every single sort of, you know, interview or press, uh, everyone is always like, oh my gosh, like, you know, Dylan's so young, like, you know, the band started so young and, you know, that, that notion of you, you know, being the age that you were obviously when you first started touring and everything like that. Um, but, and you've obviously put out a lot of music since then, uh, and does does that sort of lens that you are viewed through um, make you feel old in a way? Because you're like, I've been doing this for so long. Like, I'm not young anymore. I'm not, you know, 18 or 19. Um, you know, does that kind of like weird you out that people still, I guess, bring that up? I mean, I'm bringing it up right now. So <laughs> um, it doesn't weird me out because I'm the same way. You know, if I if I find out about somebody when they're making music and they're, you know, young um i think of them that way forever (laughs) or if i i was just listening to uh some i forget whose podcast it was but someone was saying that they like whenever they find out about a child actor like in their mind they are the the child forever (laughs) you know this actor like doesn't grow up you know it's it's like the same kind of thing where i feel like you know people discover you at one point and then that's their image of you for eternity you know until you know they die (laughs) right (laughs) yeah you're frozen in amber yeah sure just stuck in one thing um which is it makes sense to me yeah and i i feel i think i do i've always kind of felt older than i am um i've always kind of hung out with people who are you know not significantly older than me but at least like you know four or five years older um that's always just been you know and when you're a kid actually that you know that feels old you know when you're age oh yes i met tj and tj was i think he's nine years older than me um so TJ was like 27 at the time I met him and I was like, this guy's old, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's, he's ancient. Uh, yeah. Right. So I felt like he'd like, you know, I just like hanging out with people like that. Um, and I have always kind of felt that, I guess, a kinship towards, you know, older people. I think I just associate it with knowledge. <laughs> Essentially. I feel like you can learn more. Um, yeah. And I've always just preferred being around people like that. So I forget what the question was. And so now I'm just talking no. about old people. You know? Yeah, No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, like I said, I, I found, I find that interesting just because to your, like when a talking point or two gets kind of established with the band, it's like, it's almost like part and parcel where it's like, you have to mention this, you know, like the, there's no way that anybody could ever talk to about cloud nothings without mentioning the fact that like, Oh, Dylan was so young when this first started. And it was like, well, there's probably a different way to talk about that now, right? Oh, you would think so. But yeah, no, I I can, I feel like I can write some of the interviews before they even happen. Like if I find out (laughs) I'm doing one with like someone who maybe hasn't had too long of a journalism career, as it were, I feel like I can be like, let me just write this one for you. (laughs) Yeah, like I I know what you're going to ask. I got this. Yeah, Steve Albini was cool. Okay, Um, let's, uh, yeah, you can publish that and that'll be fine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. How repetitive some of that stuff is for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and the last thing was, uh, now that, you know, the band has existed for obviously longer than a decade and, you know, kind of riding all of these, uh, you know, waves in regards to, you know, different music scenes, you know, coming in and out of fashion and obviously the band's popularity kind of, you know, rising and falling, not like, you know, mm-hmm. you've reached the bottom per se, but no, just the, <laughs> yeah, you're trying, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I guess, 
one part of that is like, you know, what did you like kind of notice that the band was getting noticed where you felt like, oh, wow, like people are paying attention to not only the art that I'm creating, but then like they're interested in like my personal life or whatever. Like once that started to kind of um, transpire, uh, did that make you feel like uh, uncomfortable or weird? Or was that like, well, that's just kind of, I guess, part and parcel of what it is that we're doing as putting our art in the world? Um, I mean, anything outside of the band always kind of makes me feel weird. Um, people who, uh, yeah, if someone's interested in your personal life, like I get it, I guess, you know, I kind of like knowing that stuff about people that I like to, it's just funny to be the person that someone wants to know that about like, really? Like, I don't, I got it. I don't know. I don't really do much. (laughs) Yeah. Like this isn't that exciting. I work on music all day. You don't want to see that. Um, so yeah, it's it's funny to have that happen, but also it's not like that happens uh, on a mass scale. I'm <laughs> especially not anymore. Uh, but yeah, 2012 when we put out uh, this record, Attack on Memory, that was the one that people really kind of latched onto. And like touring that, the first tour we did on that record, immediately we kind of felt like, oh, people uh, people like this <laughs> like more than much more than anything we've done so far. And the shows are actually like full of people like screaming words along you know it's it's just the kind of standard thing that happens i guess when people like a record um but it's it was funny to have it happen and kind of just watch that because you know people go to shows and do stuff that i would never in a million years do um so it's funny to inspire that kind of behavior <laughs> among people you know I, I tend to stand in the back and just be like watching a show but you know people in the front just like pounding the stage and screaming the words like they feel it more than me you know, <laughs> like I don't even feel this this much. Yeah, so this person must be like truly tortured. Yeah, I hope I hope I'm helping. Uh, right, right. You're like, you're like, you seem to be liking this more than I do, and wow, that is a weird thing to consider. Yeah, like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, this is like an upsetting song. You shouldn't. I mean, are you okay? Yeah, but yeah, is a little too excited. Sure, sure. Well, and, and I, that idea of what you're talking about, where once you become, you know, I mean, especially from a vocalist perspective where people just, you know, instantly gravitate towards the vocalist and obviously put them as the sort of center of attention. Um, and then, like you said, do have that kind of emotional output towards, um, you know, the band. Have you had to kind of grapple with that, you know, people um, kind of coming up to you and, you know, like pouring their heart and soul out, you know, for obvious good reason, because that's, uh, you know, why people create art is to, you know, have that, uh, not, not have the interaction, but maybe be able to help people, um, in many different respects. Like, have you had to kind of navigate that where it's like, oh, wow, like, I I don't know what to say to this person after, you know, they've uh, spent the past 10 minutes talking about how much the song means to them. (laughs) Well, that, I mean, that usually goes well, actually, because we'll, uh, that'll be the conversation. They'll say something like intense to me and I'll be like, whoa, (laughs) you know, I'll like process and be like, well, I'll, I'll usually say like, thank you or something along those lines or like glad there's, you know, glad we could help in some way. And then like, that's, that's what they wanted out of the interaction. So it's over. Yeah. And it's like actually a great way to have a conversation. (laughs) Someone just says a bunch of stuff to you and you go like, Whoa. And then they walk away. Yeah. Like, Oh, this is great. (laughs) I could do this all day. (laughs) I, I like that. You're just like, well, I am, I'm glad to be that repository for you. And thank you for interacting with my music in that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then they're, they're so happy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow. I made that person's day better just by like listening to them for a second. <laughs> right. Nice. Right. You're like, this is, this is great. Like you said, you could do this all day. 
um, and, and I promise last thing where, uh, y- y- with the, you know, a- the evolution of, uh, you know, the band and the proliferation of, you know, social media and how bands are expected to, you know, interact with fans on an even, you know, deeper level by, you know, just being visible, <laughs> you know, on these, on these social media platforms and stuff like that. Um, and because you obviously, you know, got the start on a social media platform, um, from that perspective, I presume that you've been generically comfortable with, you know, how I guess accessible that your music can be. And then that the way you, you know, kind of promote yourself and the band yeah. generally speaking. Yeah, And I think, I mean, I, I kind of like that, you know, I like the, if someone likes, your band they can reach out to you pretty directly um you know and just say whatever they want to say um and if someone says something you know weird or like rude you just mute or <laughs> like block or whatever it's easy yeah um so i don't yeah the whole uh you know ease of access is it seems to me just mostly like a good thing and even then i don't i almost just use the stuff i'll say something stupid every once in a while um and people will you know like it where <laughs> I'll just go and like, you know, talk to friends on there. Like I would, if I wasn't operating a band social media account. Yeah. I kind of just use it. It's like my personal thing. Um, so yeah, it just kind of feels natural. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Especially because it's something that you are, um, you know, comfortable in existing and like, I'm sure you've, uh, had to witness people shifting from one medium to another uh, from a promotional perspective of social media and then totally not being comfortable with that or making it like completely devoid of personality. Yeah. Well, I think I'm seeing, I mean, now it seems like people are switching to ones that I actively don't use, uh, which who knows how that'll go. (laughs) I'm in the future, you know, but it's like, you know, it's like very young people doing it and I don't think they're interested in our music anyway. So if I stay on these platforms for old people, we're going to be fine. Sure. Right. It's like, yeah, you got to turn and start making the, uh, the TikToks, right? Yeah. That's the thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I drew the line at TikTok, and now, you know, who knows where the line has gone since then, but yeah, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't know how to use TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out, Dylan. This was, uh, this was fun. And I, uh, hope I brought you a little joy beyond your, um, you know, beans being delivered in the next, uh, 15, 20 minutes. You want to know what, uh, I just got a text about Oh my gosh. It's, it's just arriving. It's here. Oh, dude, perfect timing. The yeah. saga is now closed. I know. I'm so happy we could have this closure. Yeah. I, I, I am. This was this this felt very fitting. But yeah, thank you for your time, dude. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh boy, that was a great chat, right? Mr. Dylan. He just was uh I it was such an easy and good hang. And Sometimes I get nervous with these conversations with people that I don't know at all, and I have to try to create an immediate rapport where it's like, hey, this is an interview, but not like the interviews you're used to. It's obviously more free-flowing, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, like I don't want to be like that you know, Pollyanna character of like, oh, man, this is such a special interview. And so anyway, th- that, that's all what goes through my head. But anyways, Dylan, great chat. Thank you very much for it. It was fun. Next week is, speaking of another fun chat, again, painting with a very wide palette here. We're talking about, you know, uh, hardcore earlier this month, a podcaster, just like, the, you know, metal legends, I hate God, so much fun stuff. March keeps is the gift that keeps on giving because we have David Ferrier, who is a filmmaker and journalist, and he's probably one of my favorite people on the internet because uh, he has done some unbelievably compelling 
documentaries. He did Dark Tourist on Netflix. Um, the documentary that I speak of is called Tickled. It's on HBO or HBO Max, I think they call it now. I cannot tell you how awesome that documentary is. It takes you to so many insane places, but... David Ferrier got introduced to me via a mutual friend, Aaron Harris, the drummer for ISIS. And uh, he, I didn't know he was a huge music head, but he totally is. He's like a metal dude through and through. And uh, I had to have him on the show, and it was such a pleasant conversation. So that's what we got next week. And until then, as I always tell you, please be safe, everybody. <laughs>